Lord Jesus, we look at everything you've done for us, especially through your death and your resurrection, and we just stand in awe and want to say thank you. And now as we open your word together this morning and examine in a new way, in a fresh way, what it means to be followers of you, I pray that you will give us hearts of gratitude so that we don't see following you as an obligation, as a duty, as something that is um, unduly stressing us, but that we will see it as a joy to give our lives in worship of you and following you because we know that when we follow you, you give us true life. So we ask for your guidance now as we open your word in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. They need one person who will be willing to stand up. Uh, we need a volunteer this morning as we get started. It's not a stressful role. just need someone to raise their hand who will be willing to come up here and be a brief volunteer. Doris, come on up here. Okay, it's not too stressful. Okay. I want you to pretend I'm giving this to you as a gift. Why don't you open it up and tell us what is inside? Thank you. Oh. What's in there? It's a puzzle. It's a puzzle. With many pieces. Yeah, you want to hold it up so everyone can see all the pieces? A lot of pieces. Okay. Doris, here's a puzzle for you. Do you see anything in this puzzle that is missing? <laughs> I guess I'd have to put it together to find out. Yeah? I don't know. Well, hopefully none of the pieces are missing because it's still in a sealed yeah. bag. Is there anything that normally accompanies well, a puzzle? the picture of what it is. Yeah. Yeah, usually there's a picture that comes with a puzzle. Well, what, uh, why is a picture helpful when you're putting together a puzzle? Because you can pick out all the blue ones and all the red ones and all the green ones and do them first. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, because the picture gives you the, the final picture of what it should look yeah. like. We do happen to have a picture. That's what it should look like. Oh. That would probably be helpful, wouldn't it? Yeah, With well, the little cabin and the trees and the sky and the water. Because the picture shows you where the pieces should go. You have, uh, how many you have? 550 individual pieces there. But without the picture, I mean, you could eventually get the puzzle together. But it would probably be a little bit more difficult. It might be a little bit more frustrating because you don't really know where the pieces go. And, and so a picture is very helpful. And so... Um, I thank you for being a volunteer. If you'd like to take the puzzle home, you can and put it together. Paul, you, you're volunteering. Here we go. We do like puzzles. Okay, there you go. Where to go on being a volunteer? But you know, when putting a, a puzzle together, having the picture that shows you how all the individual pieces go together is very helpful. Because you can have 550 pieces, you can lay them on the table on a on a piece of ground. But you don't know really what that final product is supposed to look like. You don't know how it goes together. And it can lead to a lot of frustration, a lot of discouragement, just a lot of challenges that you wouldn't necessarily have if you have the final big picture of how the puzzle should look. I think this is oftentimes the way that people approach uh, church and approach God and approach the Christian life, that they, they don't have the big picture of how things should look. They, they look at the Christian life and look at church and look at God as a whole bunch of little individual pieces, but they lose sight of the big picture and it can lead to difficulties and frustrations in their Christian life. I mean, they hear in church, that, okay, you should go to church on a regular basis, you should read your Bible, it would be good if you pray, it would be good if you find a ministry to serve in the church, it would be good if you help um, with the Belize missions trip by giving financially and to pray for them, it would be good if you find another ministry to serve in the church, it would be good if you help out widows and orphans, it would be good if you're nice to other people, it would be good if you work hard and work with integrity in your job, it would be good if you join a life group, it would be good if you go to family fun nights. We could go on and on and on about things that would be good for you to be involved in, in the church and in your walk with God. 
But oftentimes we look at these things just as the individual pieces. We don't really know how they fit together. It can lead to confusion, which can then lead to uh, difficulty in knowing, okay, what do I really prioritize? How, how does all this stuff fit together? And over time, it can even lead to frustration and disillusionment because we really aren't quite sure how do all these different things fit together to accomplish something greater than all the individual parts alone. Over the last five months, we've been going uh, through a couple different sermon series that talk about growing as a follower of Jesus. Uh, we started out with the Not a Fan series in January and February, where we talked about not merely being enthusiastic admirers of Jesus, but being fully committed followers of Christ. Uh, the theme verse in, in that series was Luke 9.23, where Jesus said, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. And through that series, a lot of us gained a lot of encouragement and challenge to follow Christ more faithfully. But the series raised a very relevant question of what does it look like on a daily basis for someone in Ozaki County to follow Christ? I mean, we know some people are called to sell everything and move to Africa as a missionary. But what about the rest of us? How do we follow Christ on a daily basis? And so then we started what we called the Follower Apps series. Follower Apps was based on the book of James, a very practical look at practical application points we can make to our lives to grow as followers of Jesus. And through these last five months, we've heard a lot of different messages, heard a lot of different themes about following Christ. This is a stack of all the sermons that you have heard through that time if you've been here most weeks. It's probably 140, 150 pages worth of sermons. These are my notes that I put together in preparation. It's a lot of information. But as you think over the last five months, if you've been here through the Not a Fan series and the Follower App series, or even if you haven't been here, you can imagine all the information that's there, it can begin to feel a little bit like information overload. And you can begin to wonder, how does all this stuff fit together? I've heard a lot of individual components about being a follower of Christ. But is there a way to really fit it all together into a bigger picture of what it means to follow Christ? And that's what we're going to try to do today, is to create a bit of a, a bigger picture, even using a diagram that will help us to understand how everything fits together so that we can grow as faithful followers of Jesus. I invite you to turn your Bibles to Mark chapter 8. Uh, we're in, in the last few verses of Mark 8 for this morning's message. Uh, next week we're being in a new sermon series called Text Message. It's all about the Bible. If you've ever had questions about the Bible, this is the place to get some answers. Questions like, who wrote the Bible? Questions like, okay, we have 66 books in the Bible. Who chose those 66 books? How do we get these books and not the others? If you have questions about, is our Bible today anything like the original Bible that was written 2,000 or more years ago? Questions about how do we really apply the Bible to our lives? We live in the 21st century. This stuff in here took place a long time ago. Does it have any relevance to today's life? That's what the text message series is going to focus on. But today we're having a one message uh, summary of what it means to be a follower of Christ. And like I said, we're looking in Mark chapter 8. And uh, if you're here during the Not a Fan series, you will recognize that this passage is very, very similar to the Luke 9 passage that we looked at during that um, Not a Fan series. And as we look at this passage today, this is going to serve as the launching point for pulling out four main characteristics that should characterize every follower of Christ. This is going to be the big picture of what it means to follow Christ. So I invite you to follow along in your Bibles as I read Mark 8, beginning in verse 27, going through the end of the chapter. 
Mark says that Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. On the way, he asked them, Who do people say that I am? They replied, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked. Who do you say I am? Peter answered, You are the Christ. Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about this. He then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan, he said. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world, yet forfeit his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. So as I said, from this passage, this is going to serve as a launching point to draw out four characteristics that should really characterize every follower of Christ. These are, this is the big picture that can help us to see what it means to follow Christ. And the first, most central characteristic of a follower of Christ is that followers are gospel-centered. And so in your bulletin there, there's a sheet with some sermon notes. There's this little triangle with a circle in the middle of it. I encourage you to write the word gospel in the middle of that circle. This indicates that followers of Christ are gospel-centered. And followers are gospel-centered because Jesus was gospel-centered. Look with me back to this passage at, at the conversation taking place between Jesus and his disciples. He asked them a series of questions, asking, Who am I? What do, who do the crowd say I am? Who do you say I am? And Peter said, You are the Christ. The Christ is um, it, it's a, it's a Greek term that's equivalent to the, the Hebrew or Jewish term for Messiah. Messiah is a coming Savior. That for hundreds and hundreds of years, Jewish people were looking ahead to a Savior, a Messiah, who would come to deliver them, uh, to bring them salvation. I think what Jesus was doing here was really setting them up to create a teachable moment. Because as soon as Peter said that you are the Christ, Jesus began to tell them about what type of Messiah he was going to be. Jesus said that, that he must suffer many things, be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law, and he must be killed and three days later rise again. Now, it's interesting to see what Peter's response was. This type of Messiah that Jesus is laying out here is not the type of Messiah or Christ that was expected. They were expecting some sort of political Messiah who would deliver them from the Roman Empire. And so Peter was hearing these things that Jesus was saying and was thinking, you know, that's not what the Messiah does. The Messiah doesn't go out and get himself killed and crucified and mocked. The Messiah reigns and rules. So Peter pulls Jesus aside and says, Jesus, you have this all wrong. Now, we know that you're the Christ, but you have no idea what type of Christ you're supposed to be. He begins rebuking Jesus. It's pretty audacious, pretty bold of Peter to do that. 
And then, and then Jesus turns the tables and begins rebuking Peter, saying, Peter, you have in mind the things of people. You don't have in mind the things of God. You're mistaken in this completely. And Jesus, you listen to the conviction that he has when he talks about what's going to happen to him. He says that he must suffer many things. That he must be killed and after three days rise again. This was Jesus' mission. This is why Jesus came to earth. And he knew that this was his mission. He spoke about his, his impending death many, many times. For instance, in Mark 10, 45, Jesus said that the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. As Jesus got closer and closer to the time of his crucifixion, he spoke with more and more conviction of the fact that this impending crucifixion was going to be the fulfillment of his mission. It's really why he came to this earth. And then when Jesus was moments from his death on the cross, he cried, it is finished. Signaling that his mission was fulfilled now that he was being crucified on the cross. And all he had to do once he died was to wait three days for God to raise him from the dead. This idea of of Jesus coming to live a perfect life, of dying to pay our death penalty, and to rise again to defeat sin and death, that's the essence of the gospel. And we see that Jesus was very gospel-centered. His whole life, his whole mission was centered around his death and his resurrection so that he could undo the effects of sin and death. Jesus was incredibly gospel-centered. In fact, uh, the entire Bible is gospel-centered, centering around, around what Christ has done for us. I want to flip over to 1 Corinthians chapter 15 where Paul offers a great summary of this gospel. And you'll hear the same themes here that you hear Jesus talking about. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1 through 4, Paul says, Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved, if you hold firmly to the word I have preached to you. For what I received I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. You hear Paul is explaining very clearly the gospel, that Christ died for our sins. He said this gospel is of first importance, that this gospel is what gives us salvation. And so if we are to be followers of Christ, we must be gospel people. The gospel is the center of what it means to be a follower of Christ. Back when I was in seminary, one of my professors in a lecture gave a recommendation to all of us students. He said, I want to encourage you to take your Bibles and take a red-colored pencil, and every time you see the word gospel, put a rectangle around that word with your red-colored pencil. And then look at what it's talking about, about the gospel there. So I took him up on this challenge. I took out a red-colored pencil, and that started me reading through the New Testament very quickly, wanting to find every occurrence of the word gospel in there. And I found about 100 occurrences of the word gospel, and that's not to mention hundreds of other times where the concepts within the gospel are explained using different terms. But it's very eye-opening and encouraging to see all these different times the word gospel occurs throughout the New Testament. I want to encourage you to consider doing the same type of exercise. Uh, The word gospel, it only occurs in the New Testament because it's a Greek word. Uh, The New Testament was written in Greek. But I want to encourage you, maybe consider doing that same thing, to put some sort of special marking around the word gospel and look at the context of what is being talked about when you see the gospel. Because what you will see, I believe, is, is the centrality of the gospel for the entire Christian life. 
Let me give you a few examples. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 24, the gospel must be preached to the whole world. In Acts 24, uh, Paul is summarizing his entire ministry. And he says, However, I consider my life worth nothing to me, if only I may finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. Paul said that nothing else really matters in my life except testifying to the gospel. He said in Romans 1, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. He said in 1 Corinthians 9, Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. And then in Colossians chapter 1, Paul is talking about how the gospel is growing and bearing fruit all throughout the world. So the gospel is central to what it means to follow Christ. The gospel is centered on what Christ has done for us through his perfect life, his death, and his resurrection. We need to understand that the gospel is the essence of Christianity. If you were to go and ask people out in the world or even ask people in churches, what's the essence of Christianity? What's Christianity all about? I think you'd hear many people say, you know, the bottom line, the lowest common denominator of Christianity is the golden rule. Love your neighbor as yourself. I, I really believe that if you talk to the people about what Christianity is all about, you'd find many people who would say that. And, and the golden rule, love your neighbor as yourself, really does have its roots in Jesus' teaching. But that's not the essence of Christianity. The bottom line the essence of Christianity is the gospel. The gospel of, of the good news of what Jesus has done for us is the unique contribution that Jesus made to this world. You will find plenty of other teachers out there who say you should love others. You find plenty of other teachers and religions that say you should love God. But Jesus is unique in the gospel. And the gospel is also our unique contribution to the world as followers of Christ. You don't have to be a follower of Christ to love others. You don't have to be a follower of Christ to be a blessing to others, to serve the world, to, to be involved in politics or to do anything else. Followers of Christ have this unique thing that we can offer the world as Jesus works through us, and that's the gospel. I had a roommate in my freshman year of college uh, who was definitely not a Christian. But he was one of those people, he probably lived a better life than I did in terms of, of morals, in terms of serving people, in terms of being a blessing to others. He, he, was, he had a phrase to describe himself. You may or may not have heard of it. He, he, he subscribed to a philosophy called straight-edge hardcore. Straight-edge hardcore. Straight-edge is, is a philosophy of life that says, that, that I'm not going to um, be involved in any alcohol or any drugs. I'm not going to engage in promiscuous sex. And he took it so far as to being a vegan. Um, I mean, it's really a love others type of mentality. And, and don't dabble in things that may pull you off course. I mean, the, a lot of these things I just said are things that a lot of Christians can say, you know what, that's, that's a decent way to live. But he was definitely not a Christian. You can live... Um, a very moral, upright life. You can live a life that serves others, live a life that is a huge blessing, even to widows and orphans and others, but still not be a Christ follower. What distinguishes Christ followers from everyone else is the gospel. And the gospel is central to what it means to follow Christ. And the cool thing is that the gospel also shows that anyone and everyone can be a Christ follower. You don't have to have your act together to be a Christ follower. You look at the people who Jesus associated with. They were tax collectors. They were prostitutes. Uh, they were uh, uh, ethnic outcasts. They were political zealots. 
It was a band of people that the religious leaders looked down on. They were, they, they, were, they were considered the scum of the earth. But they were the people who Jesus welcomed to come and follow him. And that's what the gospel does. It welcomes anyone and everyone to come follow him because he has already taken care of any payment for sin that needs to be taken care of. So we need to understand that the central, central characteristic of a disciple is that they are gospel-centered. Now I said there, there are four characteristics I'm going to outline. The final three are three key relationships that, that a follower of Christ should have. The first and foremost relationship is the follower's relationship with God. That followers should have life-giving devotion to God. I encourage you in that little diagram to write the word up at the top of the triangle. That indicates your upward relationship with God. You, look to, um, or you can see this in the greatest commandment. Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment of all? He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And we heard a lot about this in the Not a Fan series, the importance of being devoted to Christ. Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. I mean, this sounds like a tremendous sacrifice. But as we devote ourselves fully to Christ, he gives us true life. But remember that what Jesus is looking for is not fans who are enthusiastic admirers of his. He's looking for followers. But it's so easy to be an enthusiastic admirer of, of Jesus or of other things. Back in Memorial Day weekend, I was, my family and I were down at the street festival here in Port Washington. And there was a car out there uh, that definitely caught my attention. If you know me, you know I, I like cars. Uh, this is a Ford GT. I haven't seen many of them in person. But we were down by the big bouncy house, uh, down by the Holiday Inn. Well, while my family was looking at the bouncy house, I was drawn over to this car that was parked there along the side of the street. And I was taking a look at it, looking inside, looking through the clear window over the engine. Uh, my family was calling me back to the bouncy house. But then I saw someone get into the car, and I could tell he was about to leave. So I had to stay over there to hear the car start and to hear the rumble of the engine as it drove away. It was pretty impressive. And so I got rejoined my family, and they, they asked me questions. Brandon, we've never seen that type of car before. What is that? And I, I explained it's a Ford GT um, built back in, like, 05 or so, give or take a few years. There explained it was built based on the GT40, which was a major race car, legendary car back in the 1960s. It was explaining all this stuff. I was a tremendous enthusiastic admirer of this Ford GT for a few minutes there. But that experience did not change my life at all. I could regurgitate a lot of information about this car and about similar cars. But at the end of the day, I was simply an enthusiastic admirer of those things. And it's incredibly easy to be an enthusiastic admirer of Jesus. To come to church, to learn some information about him, to read about him, to like being associated with him, but not be fully devoted and committed to following him. But Jesus is looking for followers who are fully devoted to making him number one in their lives. The up relationship with God is the most important relationship we have in life. So the question for us, is, if we want to grow as followers of Christ, is how is your up relationship doing with God? Are you experiencing uh, intimacy and connection with him? Are you experiencing joy in your relationship with him? One, a couple great ways to build that relationship with God is to, to read scripture. Not just to read it, just to gain information, but to really enjoy getting, getting to know God better through scripture, through prayer, through humble obedience. These are ways to grow in our up relationship with God. 
The second relationship, which is very important for followers of Christ, is, your, is our relationship with other Christians. This could be called our in relationship. So I invite you on the triangle to write in in one of the bottom corners. We need to understand that followers of Christ build up the body of Christ. Think about the second greatest commandment. Jesus said, most important is to love God. The second commandment is like it, and that's to love your neighbor as yourself. Loving others was one of the key themes throughout the Follower App series. Uh, Think about some of the things we talked about in the book of James. For instance, in James 2, we talked about the importance of meeting the physical needs of our brothers and sisters in Christ when they are in need. For instance, in verse 15 uh, and 16, in James 2, we we see James say, Suppose your brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to him, Go, I wish you well, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about his physical needs, what good is it? James is saying, that, Look, if you have a brother or sister in Christ who's in need, you need to go out of your way to try to meet that need, to try to help them out. In the same way, James talked about the words that we use when we're relating to others around us. He said in, uh, in chapter 3, he said, The tongue is a fire. A world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole person, sets the whole course of his life on fire, and is itself set on, and set on fire by hell. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in God's likeness. How the same mouth come praise and curse. And my brothers, this should not be. So we talked in that message about the importance of using our words to build people up rather than tearing them down. Of not gossiping, not complaining overly much but to build people up around us because that's what followers of Christ do. Later on in James chapter 3, we saw that, that uh, peacemakers, um, I'll just read it rather than trying to quote this one off the top of my head. Peacemakers who sow in peace raise a harvest of righteousness. Talked about the importance of building peace where there's strife and disunity, being intentional to try to rebuild that peace. So we see that followers build up the body of Christ. And really, this is rooted in the gospel because the gospel empowers healthy community within the body of Christ. Think about it. The gospel empowers us to give sacrificially because Christ gave sacrificially to us. The gospel empowers us to forgive others because Christ forgave us so graciously. He doesn't hold our sins against us, so neither should we hold people's sins against them. The gospel enables us to put others first, not only because Christ uh, gave the example of how to to be a blessing to others, but also because the gospel fills the holes in our hearts that cause us to be self-centered. So when the gospel is filling those holes in our hearts, it enables us to give to others and to put others first. The gospel enables us to be open and authentic with others because the gospel says, you know what, we're all sinful and messed up. So if we're all sinful and messed up, we don't need to put on a front and try to make ourselves look better than we really are because the gospel says, you know what, you're messed up, but there's grace and mercy. So the gospel enables us to have healthy, authentic, gracious community with one another. I think of Ephesians chapter 4 where Paul said, From Christ the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. And then in Hebrews chapter 10, uh, the author of Hebrews says, And let us consider how we, we, how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another, and all the more as we see the day approaching. 
So it's talking here about the importance of building each other up, encouraging each other to grow in our walk with God. And it's incredibly important that we, that we invest deeply in each other's lives as Christians if we want to grow as followers of Christ. You may have seen TV shows about animals out in the wild. I sometimes enjoy seeing those, things like Animal Planner, or sometimes you see shows on the Discovery Channel. Um, you may have seen out on, in, the, um, in the desert or in the plains of Africa um, how lions or other predators take down their prey. I, I saw one show once where you had this big herd of water buffalo, and there were a handful of lions looking for supper. So what do they do? They don't come and attack the entire herd at once. They look for one of the buffalo that's wandered a little bit from the herd. And when they find that one that's wandered maybe 20, 30, 50, 100 yards away from the herd, that's the one they go after. You know, that whole herd, if they wanted to, could beat away those lions. If the whole herd of 100 buffalo run at those lions, the lions are going to run away. But when you have that one isolated buffalo, he stands no chance against those lions. It's the same way for us as Christians. That if we try to be lone rangers, if we try to go it alone, we're going to be stunted in our growth and we're setting ourselves up in a very dangerous position because we need the support of other Christians around us. So followers build up the body of Christ. So the question for us is how is your in relationship doing? How is your connection with other Christians Ideally, it's going to a deeper and a deeper level. For some of us, uh, the next step is simply getting involved in something beyond the Sunday morning service. A great starting point for that is the family fun nights because they're, they're low-key ways to get connected with other Christians. Again, they don't go deep spiritually, but again, it is a way for you to begin to connect with other Christians. For others who are connected socially, there needs to be the next step perhaps of getting involved in a Bible study or a life group because those are places where you can connect more deeply with a smaller group of Christians and encourage each other as you study Scripture and you can pray for each other and, and share life together. For others who are already involved there, there's maybe a next step that needs to be taken in terms of investing in the lives of one or two or three others. Throughout the course of my Christian life, I've, often, I've been involved in Bible studies and small groups throughout. But I've oftentimes had uh, one or two or three others who I'm invested in more deeply, who we're sharing life together, who we're meeting together on a regular basis, informally and formally, to invest in each other's lives, to pray for each other, to hold each other accountable, to ask, you know, how are things going? In fact, just a couple weeks ago, I was sitting at my desk here at church, uh, and one morning, got this call from a guy I knew back in college. I hadn't talked to him in, talked to him in well over seven years. But he was a guy back in college who would meet together regularly for prayer, for accountability, uh, to, to study scripture together. Uh, we really grew a lot in our relationship with each other, grew a lot. Our relationship with each other caused us to grow in our walk with God. It was encouraging to get that call from me. He said, Brandon, I was just thinking about you this morning and, and, um, and just thinking back to how God worked so powerfully in our lives through that time we had together in college. We all need uh, those deeper relationships with a handful of brothers or sisters in Christ who can encourage us and challenge us to go deeper in, as followers of Christ. So how's your, relation, how's your in relationship with other Christians? The final relationship that we're talking about this morning is the out relationship with the surrounding world. That followers of Christ guide people to Christ. You can write on the third uh, corner of the triangle, Out. 
your out relationship with, other, or with non-Christians. We see this lived out in the Great Commission, where Jesus says, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. We're called to take the gospel to those around us who are in desperate need of the gospel. Now, when we talk about this, this may sound very intimidating. You may think, okay, I'll do anything, but I don't really want to talk with others about Jesus. It's kind of scary. That's for the experts who know a lot about the gospel. That's for the extroverts who, who are extremely outgoing. I'll tell you, I've shared the gospel with a lot of people through my life. Um, I can explain it generally pretty well, and I'm on the extroverted end of the spectrum. But I still get butterflies in my stomach when it comes time sharing the gospel with others. So it doesn't surprise me if you do as well. But I want to share with you some practical ways that we can live out the out relationship with the surrounding world. Oftentimes when we think about taking the gospel to people, all we think about is verbalizing the gospel message. And that is incredibly important, but I think it's helpful to look at our outreach um, as, as kind of a, a cord of three strands. Where sharing the gospel is one of the strands. But also building, healthy, or building relationships with non-Christians is important as well, that we, that we invest in them, that we show we care, that, we, that if they have physical needs or, or other family needs, that we're there to uh, meet those needs, that we, that we listen to how their day is going, that we are there for them, that we build healthy relationships with them. But the third strand, in addition to building relationships and sharing the gospel, is connecting them to Christian community. Back in, 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 in Jesus' time, he, he said, I'm going to make you fishers of men. He said that to his disciples who were commercial fishermen at the time. We need to understand that fishing back then was not typically done with just a basic rod and reel. It wasn't a one-on-one thing between the fishermen and the fish. Fishing was a team effort where they would have these large nets. One fisherman could not do it alone. He needed a whole team of people to help cast out the nets and help pull them back in. And I think that evangelism, reaching out to people with the gospel, is best seen as a team effort, where we are helping people not only uh, connect with us and connect with the gospel, but connect with the Christian community. And this is one way that we can best use all the gifts in the body of Christ. Because some people are great at building relationships with non-Christians. Some people are great at sharing the gospel. Others are a little bit more scared of that. But if we look at it as a team effort, those who are very hospitable, who are great at opening their homes and providing good food, but aren't as comfortable sharing the gospel with people, or aren't as comfortable building new relationships, they can still be used with their hospitality. Or people who are more introverted, who in a social setting prefer to kind of sit in the corner and, and not interact with a whole lot of people, but they prefer deeper conversations, God can work through that to help them build deeper relationships with individuals. Oftentimes, uh, the best way to reach people with the gospel is not just to preach to them the gospel, but to build a relationship with them over time and to help them get connected with more people than just you within the Christian community. So how's your out doing? How's your relationship doing with the surrounding world? I find that for many Christians, this is perhaps the biggest area of needed growth, is that we are oftentimes very anemic in our outreach to the world around us. It's been said that the Dead Sea is dead, though, because it has a lot of tributaries flowing into it, but nothing flowing out. In the same way, to grow spiritually as followers of Christ, we must have a healthy uh, out relationship where we're intentionally investing in the gospel in the lives of other people. It's also been said that Christians are kind of like manure. You spread us out, and we help things grow. Keep us in a pile, keep us together, and we can really stink. 
So we need to spread out and help things grow. It's also said that, that um, if Christians take their eyes off the mission of reaching the world with the gospel and making more followers of Christ, we end up picking fleas off each other. Because if we aren't focused on the bigger picture of what God is calling us to, we end up nitpicking with one another and getting caught up in a lot of secondary issues that really don't matter in the big scheme of things. So we need to focus on the big picture of reaching the world with the gospel, of connecting with our Heavenly Father uh, through the up relationship and of building up the body of Christ in the in relationship. And the gospel is central to all of that. Now, you may be wondering this morning, well, what about Christian character? Where does that fit in the whole, whole storyline here uh, of growing as a follower of Christ? I believe that Christian character in terms of integrity, in terms of love for others, in terms of joy, in terms of patience, in terms of um, all these other characteristics, I believe that they're fruit that comes out of these three relationships in applying the gospel. And if you see someone or you see yourself and you have some character flaw, it probably means that there is a problem somewhere in that up and out triangle in applying the gospel in those relationships. Leo Tolstoy, uh, the famous Russian author, once asked of himself, is there any meaning in my life that the inevitable death awaiting me does not destroy? Or am I investing my life only in things that will die with me? That, that reminds us of the eternal vision uh, topic that we were talking about in the follower app series. That, that our life on this earth is very minuscule compared to eternity, so it's important that we invest our lives in things that ultimately last. If we invest our lives... In, this, in the big picture of this diagram, in terms of the gospel, the up relationship, the in relationship, the out relationships, if we invest ourselves in those things and apply these categories in every sphere of our lives, we will be investing our lives in eternity in things that ultimately last. And along the way, we're going to be experiencing more and more the life that Jesus said he would give us when he said, I have come that you might have life and have it to the full. So may we all apply ourselves to growing as followers of Christ. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, um, we pray that you will help us to grasp more fully the big picture of what it means to follow Christ. Um, it's easy to get caught up in a lot of the details, a lot of the little, little pieces, but to lose sight of the bigger picture. God, help us to see that Jesus came to give us life and give it to us abundantly. But this life is not pursued uh, by pursuing our own desires, but by submitting to you, surrendering everything to you. Lord Jesus, please help us to come follow you, deny ourselves, to invest ourselves fully in our relationship with you, to invest ourselves in building up the body of Christ, and invest ourselves in helping to make more disciples in the surrounding world. We pray these things in your name and for your glory. Amen.